0: We good? Okay. Um, I don't know if there is an event. Think of all the events in world history, from the Garden of Eden till right today. Is there an event in the world's history that is more talked about, uh, painted about, discussed, celebrated than the the crucifixion of the Savior? Can you go into any? Catholic church anywhere in the entire world and not have that prominently, that moment memorialized? Can you go to any uh, uh, Christian church anywhere or look at what they're wearing around their neck and go, okay, people are remembering this moment? I don't think there's a moment in in there and nor should there be. I mean, this should be the seminal moment from Gethsemane to the cross to the tomb uh, that, that we should remember most. But that also means, how many times have you heard about this? And so there's the challenge about kind of how we approach this. Now, why are we doing this so much, though? Uh, well, I want to I start with a quote from the Book of Mormon from Jacob. Uh, and I found this kind of fascinating here. Jacob says, Wherefore... We would to God that we could persuade all men not to rebel against God, to provoke Him to anger, but that all men would believe in Christ. And then, here, then here's his explanation of that. And view His death and suffer His cross and bear the shame. Now that's... takes some explanation. Okay. First of all, why, why the importance of viewing his death? This is a gory, painful, heart-rending moment. Why, why the importance for Jacob when he's going to say, we want to persuade all men not to rebel, all men would believe in Christ, view his death. Why?
1: He's saying he doesn't want us to suffer as he did. Okay?
0: Okay? Yeah? I feel it's also viewing his not just his death, but the spiritual side of what was going on. The import of what he did. Okay? So we can appreciate the resurrection. Yeah, we have to view his death so that we understand what comes right after that. Not about the atonement. Right.
1: So you realize the great love that Christ has.
0: This was all about love, as painful as this is, you're right. We don't understand the depth of His love till we understand that.
2: I was going to say the same thing, and to remember the love that, how much love He had to have for us.
0: To to suffer to, through what He did.
2: And to know that the Father in Heaven, how much He suffered to see His Son.
0: Yeah, she, yeah. She, she's saying that part of it would be it's just that love and how much Father would suffer as well. Yeah.
1: I think it's kind of like uh, when you go to a funeral there's something that is a sort of a finality or a realization yeah that that's every he wanted everybody to know
0: that he did die. Right. And that's why um oh, just left him no. I don't know. It'll because come back about 10. Minutes. Yeah. Something with the tomb, anyway. But um,
2: there, there's just something that solidifies in your mind once you see. Yeah, and in
0: fact, we're going to talk about near the end here that not only did he solidify it, but he gave it. There was there was left in him a tangible evidence that it occurred. Yeah, Nancy. Um, Well, isn't that the next part here? We're going to view it now because there's three things here. Nobles. We're going to view his death and secondly, we're going to
2: suffer his, cross.
0: suffer his cross. We talk about carrying his cross, suffer his cross. Deb, you had a, you had a comment.
1: Yeah, I like the scripture in 3 Nephi chapter 27 where he says, And my Father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. Right. And after that I have been lifted up upon the cross that I might draw all men unto me. And I, I think that he, he mentions this several times. Because he did this for us,
0: he draws us to him. It, I've always been impressed by the symbolism of him, of the crucifixion. In a sense, he's being crucified. But, in a sense, but the, the, the symbolism of that is that his arms are outstretched. That, is, that in that process, he's drawing us. This sacrifice also draws men and women to him. But notice that the next part of this is not just that but it's also to suffer his cross
1: Yeah, I think we have to buy into responsibility for our own sins and the
0: contribution
1: we make to Christ
0: yeah Yeah, that we're going to have to suffer That we're going to have to suffer some things because it isn't like carry your cross is what we most of the time get but it is suffer his cross is what Jacob is saying Suffer his cross, and that's paired with another phrase. Suffer his cross and bear his shame. Ouch. If, we're, if today you said at the end of the day, well, I think today that I suffered his cross and bore his shame, uh, that was accomplished today, what would that have looked like? What would you do to do that? So that at the end of the... Day, yeah, I think I did Jacob one thing. Yeah, Kimberly? Bear his
1: shame
0: or bear the shame of the
1: world? Yeah.
0: And that's what it is, isn't it? So, but... Okay, so let's look at that then. So how are you going to bear the shame? If we are going to be like him, we're bearing the cross, and we're bearing the shame of the world, what does that look like? Well, they
1: rejected him. They
0: yes. Like
1: his goodness and no. No. In a sense, we're the same way, that people don't like us. They're even killing us in some parts of the world. So I think we take on that same rejection of our values
0: from the world. I think so. Well, I
2: don't think you can do this in one day. I think it's a lifelong experience. <laughs> and bearing the shame is that sometimes we share the shame of the world when we don't live up to our commitment to the Savior.
0: Here's an, here's an, we have an interesting moment, and it's, I think it's... I think it's a, a weird little balance. Well, what's coming on October 10th? Meet the Mormons. Meet the Mormons right? And, and again, I've seen the first few minutes of that, that film. It was at, at BYU in my place after I got done speaking. And they were putting it on right behind me. Okay. Uh, beautifully done. Uh, uh, Going to be a, a great experience. And part of what we're trying, with Meet the Mormons, what are we trying to tell the world? We're not weird, really. We're not weird. In fact, we're kind of cool, you know. And and we're, you know. Uh, I loved uh, again d- referencing the uh, the piano guys on Thursday night at the at the Windspear. He, At one point, uh, one of them gets up and says, "This is really cool, and this is a cool experience for." Uh, four mormon dads from utah <laughs> you know it's like we're not we're not weird we're kind of cool we're we're kind of more like you than you would guess but what okay but we're just as weird
2: as everybody else
0: <laughs> yeah we share in your weirdness weird with us come and be weird yeah bring your weirdness we'll add more <laughs> Yes. Okay, so we're not weird. We're Christians. We're okay. We're good people.
2: And we do believe in Christ.
0: And we believe in Christ. And now we're somehow supposed to bear the shame. How are we going to do that? We're not weird. We're okay. We're normal people trying to do the right thing. And we believe in Christ and we're not strange. And by the way, there's a shame that's coming as a result of who we are. That there is a point at which, brothers and sisters, that no matter what we do to say um, that we are not strange, that we do believe in Christ, that that is going to that when if people really understood exactly who we are, how much of the world would then be offended by us? How much shame is there in the world uh, against us if they? Because a lot of times they say, well, they just don't know us very well. Okay, now I really know you well, and now I'm really offended. On the other
1: hand, we do say we are the only true and living church upon the face of the
0: earth. And we're not going to apologize for that. And, we're and we are peculiar. So that's why I'm saying there's a strange balance here in saying, on one side, we're trying to say to truth seekers everywhere, and that's who we're talking to, we're not weird. We are Christians. We love the Lord, He is, it's where our salvation is. We don't believe we do it ourselves. We are saved by grace. We love him. We revere him. We don't worship Joseph Smith, my. blah, blah. And they are going to be a significant part of non-truth seekers for whom they're going to be offended and, and going to be and going to shame us because of who we are. Yeah. I was just going to
2: say, and I love what Charlie Morrell says. He says we're such a peculiar people. We don't even drink diet coke in front of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our little
0: our little quirks. We do. But, the, but this shame that's coming, is we're always going to be different. And, and not only that, this is a hard part for our youth to say to them, and you're going to be different. You need to draw people to you rather than you drop to their standards. But there are going to be, there's just no way around it, you're going to be different in the eyes of the world because of who you are. And there's going to be a shame involved there. Does that make sense? As there was with the Saviour. Now, how's that going to work? Well, therefore, I, I, Jacob, take upon me to fulfill the commandment of my brother Nephi. I'm going to write about this. Now, I've mentioned this before. This is, this is obviously one of my, uh, it's always been an intriguing verse for me. Uh, and, and we've talked about it in this class, but let me do it again, because I want you to see this verse through the eyes and the lens of the crucifixion. How was he going to bear the shame? How, and, and how are we supposed to somehow emulate this great act? Well, Revelation 12. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels... And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down. The old serpent was deceived the whole world. He was cast down and his angels were cast down. And then again, listen to the reaction of those that weren't cast down that had fought this battle. Listen to their sense of relief that he was cast down. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of our Christ. And then, how is Lucifer and his followers characterized? The accuser of our brethren is cast down. Okay, so that gives you an idea. What was the tactic in the pre mortal war? What, and, and, and maybe a better way to say it is, what would Lucifer accuse Jehovah of in the pre-mortal war? If you're going to attack him, what are you going to accuse him of? That
2: he would not be able to successfully draw a man
0: to him. He would be able to do this. Okay? Uh, it, uh, maybe he was un- incapable. accuse him of bad motives. What motives? Self-serving. Self-aggrandizing. So what's he really after? Power. Power. Right. He took Glory. his power. Glory. Which is what Satan... Which is what Satan... Like, okay, there's the, there's the irony. That's where we're going with this.
2: He would have accused him of not saving everybody.
0: Yeah. So he's being kind of being selfish. Or he's being elitist. Because he's only going to save his friends. Which is actually true. Yeah.
2: That, that wouldn't stop her. I mean, she tends to do that a lot. But... She said whatever it is that he wants to do himself is what he's going to be accusing
0: of. Yes. Him. Isn't that how this works? If you want to know, a lot of times you take somebody with evil intent. Listen to what they accuse other people of and you'll have a pretty clear intent of what they're what, what they're after, what their motives are. Because they will always cast uh, motive onto somebody else and it's a way of knowing in truth 10 inch headlines, what it is that they're after. Okay? So, if you think about it, Satan is going to accuse Jehovah of wanting power, wanting control, wanting the glory, and that he can't deliver it. Right? He's saying he will, but that's a lie.
2: And people are going to die.
0: And people will die. Yeah. But I think that idea, he's also going to lie yes. to you. He's saying this, but he really can't deliver. He's lying. Don't trust him. Okay? Now, take that as an idea then. So let's 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 flip for just a second to modern accusations. And again, we're gonna and we'll hop into the, the crucifixion. You can see where these things played out at that point. We take modern accusations. Uh, and I just love them. And some of these you're really familiar with. Part of how Lucifer does things. Is to cast aspersions, and then he's going to twist it, and he's going to put a. It's about naming. It's about labeling. Isn't that truth kind of in advertising? Kind of transference. It is kind of a transference thing. <laughs> okay, so yeah. if you're going to if you're going to talk about terminating a, terminating a pregnancy, what are you going to call it? Yes. <laughs> It's going to be pro. Didn't we fight a war over a free agency? How dare you try to take somebody's free agency from them? How dare you take their choice from them? It's their body. They can do with it whatever they want. You're you're fighting their choices. Well, It's not about that. It's a fetus. It's about woman's choice. I mean, we have to we're not going to, we're going to leave out some details but we're going to frame it in such a way so that it sounds so noble. It's, we're just about choice. How about this one? Defense of traditional marriage. If you're going to be defending traditional marriage, what does that say about you? That's hate speech. You're just not loving enough. You don't love. You're just being mean. You're being vicious. You're preventing people from their happiness. No, we're trying to, you know, traditional marriage. Well, that's offensive. Yes, you're, and their choices. Okay. Again, listen to how this works. Listen to the motives of all of this. This is how. This is the the his his uh, modus operandi. This is how he works. Okay. Give me another one. Defense of Christianity. What if you're going to say that uh, we're going to defend Christianity and you're going to do it, what does that say about you? Well, you're judgmental. You're insensitive.
1: Narrow-minded.
0: And you're really narrow-minded. Yeah. You're not loving and inclusive enough to recognize that Christianity is no better than anything else and that all roads end up here So the way that we avoid fights is that we just don't say one thing is good or bad. Any road works just as long as you love and meaning that you're tolerant of everybody else's stuff. Because love and tolerance is how it works. Okay? But the definition of
1: tolerance nowadays isn't people look at it. Well, you're not being tolerant because you're not seeing my
0: view and agreeing with me. Yes. You're yes. tolerant. Yes. It really means agree to disagree. <coughs> yeah. But people
1: are making tolerant to me. Um, you have to... You Tolerance have to me means... To ex- to That's
0: right. And, and, and for those, those struggling with gay marriage, and my heart goes out, and I work with those with same-sex attraction. So I'm very sympathetic to the struggle that these guys go through. But when it comes to those kind of things... The battleground is I don't just want your tolerance. I want your acceptance. I need you in your heart of hearts to believe that what I'm doing is just as good as what you're doing.
1: And to change your and
0: change mind. your mind.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's that's what I that's really what I'm after. Because I feel something about this and I'm not gonna be okay till you completely see it the way I see it. Yeah.
2: Yes. what I believe and right. I said to him but I need you to accept what I believe and what you're saying
0: is that you want me to say no to what I believe to accept what you believe that's, the, the difference Deirdre, the, street, or street, that's the, the difference though Deirdre, is that my way is enlightened and yours is knuckle dragging
2: <laughs>
0: you, your, yours is a sheeple thing because you're just following because that's what you were always taught I'm enlightened so the so the, in reality I'm smart and you're not is, is where that ultimately where that goes this this is learned that one is just Neanderthal okay actually the, the interesting thing is that the, the side of the aisle that is accusing us of hate speech and being judgmental and insensitive is actually demonstrating hate speech and being in ju- judgmentalism Well they're and trying to change again. yeah to change old thinking I'm, I'm, I'm with you yeah this last year that if you're of everything, then you stand for that. Yeah. I think that was President Hinckley, wasn't it? I don't know. <coughs> I, guess. I don't remember Okay. How about the defense of the Founding Fathers? Do we believe the Founding Fathers were inspired? Absolutely. Yep. yep. So if you're going to defend them, well, obviously that's racist and elitist. In other words, we're going to take all that is good and make it bad, and all that's bad and make it good. And if you are going to stand behind the Savior and you're going to stand by what he believes, you're going to be seen as all of these things. That's bearing the shame. And will we wilder? Wilter? Wilt? Will will we wilt? Is Wilter? It could work, couldn't it? We'll make it a verb. I will wilter under the
2: scrutiny.
0: One of the best parts about teaching is you just get to make up words. Okay. All right. Well, that said, then let's. What, what I want to do then, I want you to look. If we frame this now in the, this is how this is how Lucifer uh, marshals his forces. This is how he attacks. This is how he organizes. And now look at the crucifixion under this lens. Now we can begin to see the tactics. And, and ultimately what I was struck by as I read through these things again was the incredible irony. It's always ironic because he's twisting everything. Listen to the irony. So I'm going to, I wanted to pick out, rather than go through chronologically, pick out several events and moments through this uh, few days that we're studying. Uh, and I want you to see the ironies and see the accusations and and how it works. Okay, let's take the first one. Let's take Judas. Uh, So let's turn to Matthew 26, 14. Alright, now this is prior to the Last Supper. I don't know if you always recognize that what he was doing was already set up before he ever got there. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest. Who went to who? Judas. Judas went to them. And said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they, interesting word here, covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Why 30 pieces of silver? It's the cost of a slave.
2: It's
0: the cost of a slave. In other words, we're not even going to pay top dollar. We're gonna—it's the, it's the price of a slave. Now, consider the irony of that for a second. That when we talk about that, what's going to happen during the period of the crucifixion and the resurrection? Where does the Savior go? Spirit to spirit prison. To let the let the captives, so the captives may go free. Those that have been enslaved. And I just think it's an amazing moment for him to say, okay, we're going to take the the great liberator, if you will, and we're going to sell him for the price of a slave. Watch how it gets turned and twisted. Um, And from that time, he saw an opportunity to betray him. Now... Here's the other irony that comes with this. let hop down to verse 47.
2: Often the liberator
0: of the grave. What's that? He liberates
2: everyone from the
0: grave. We're all liberated from him. In other, and not only that, if, we, if he hadn't have did what he did, we would be enslaved by Lucifer. So Lucifer is setting it up so that the one who is going to liberate us will be sold for the price of a slave. It's it's a really backhanded kind of slap against him. Okay? Now, 47. This is after Gethsemane. And while he yet spake, yea lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with a great multitude of swords and staves. Swords and staves. Uh, I want you to picture this moment for a second. Here is the Savior. I would imagine that after going through Gethsemane, that he is, he's bloodied and exhausted. He's probably washed, his, washed himself off a bit in the, in the creek of, of Sidron to try, because he'd been bleeding from every pore. And he's got to be emotionally exhausted and he's standing there. And what, and what group was coming towards him? Here's the priest. They brought some Roman soldiers with them to capture him, and they're going to come with swords and staves.
2: What's a stave?
0: What's a stave? <laughs> what is a stave?
2: It's
0: like a club. It's like spears and clubs, okay? Why were they coming with swords and staves? They expected a fight. They did, they did accept it with from who? I'm not answering your question. Just what book and chapter are you in, in there? That's what I'm going to. Oh, this is Matthew twenty-six forty-seven. Oh. So they're coming with swords and sticks because they're expecting a fight. From who? Apostles, maybe you would think, and of course, Peter's gonna, you know, give him some reason for that. You know, gotta love Peter, man.
1: They know the Savior's powerful, that he raised the dead, he healed the sick. I mean, he's done all these powerful things. They're a little scared of him.
0: Let's flip over, I've got it, I've got it hyperlinked here, so let's hop over. See, John 18 4 through 6. Jesus, therefore, here they come, knowing all things that should come upon him, he knows the crucifixion is coming, uh, and, the, and the flogging is coming. He knows that went forth and said unto them, Who seek ye? Here comes the mob. It's the middle of the night. And you picture swords and staves. Here they come. And they're, and they're marching through here. And they're looking because Judas says, yeah, he goes to this place to pray a lot. I think he'll be there. Okay, yeah. So here they're coming. So here you get this mob in the middle of the night. And torches. And I think about all the movies you've ever seen. And here comes the mob. Okay? And they got all their swords and staves. And, and Judas also, which betrayed him. And he says, whom seek ye? Look at verse 6. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. They are afraid of him. They're scared of him. He does have power, he's done some amazing things, and we're going to kill him. That is shocking. Yeah. Couldn't it, you were talking about
2: things being twisted. Couldn't Judas have taken what the truth? Christ and his disciples were teaching or whatever, and twist it and say, look, they're coming to be a big faction now. They're fanatical. You better watch out because he's getting more and more people on his side.
0: Yeah, I think he would have. He had, so, and, and, and of course, the Sanhedrin was all, already worried about the fact that he was going you know, to that Lazarus guy that keeps running around? <laughs> you know, he should be dead. If we could... We've had two guys on our hit list. Lazarus is second because he's a second witness that hey, he's got some power over death. But it is fascinating. They are all showing up, swords and staves, and he's gonna and and here is this mild, meek, loving person going, "Yeah, I'm him." And their response is to fall back terrified, terrified of what? There's the irony. He didn't run. Yeah. Yeah, he should be scared. And he's obviously not very scared. Probably very, standing very calm and serene in front of him and just not being bullied by all of this. And that in and of itself is a pretty scary thing. Okay, now, so, so take that for a second. Let's, does, is the world at moments going to march upon you and your family with swords and staves? You know, here they come, we're not sure they're kind of, they they're Mormons are kinda of like cults and they're we're not they're weird and they do stuff we don't know what goes on in that temple. It's kinda of, they won't let anybody else in there. Okay, and they have lots of money, but nobody seems to be getting rich. You know, we're not quite sure what the deal is here. Well and this and is an example of that. You know, yesterday uh, in our sacrament meeting we were celebrating the uh, what
2: was it, the thirty thirty fifth thirtieth
0: anniversary of the temple. Good example. And Yeah, Uh, Patriarch Lawrence and Lou Lawrence was talking about that experience uh, of showing up on the temple grounds. And it's like, we can't tell anybody that we're about to break ground and that President Hinckley is even in town to be able to do this. Because some of the larger churches in town have have heard that we were looking because we had to get some some things past the city council. And we're going to hold the groundbreaking and you're not going to get very much notice and it's going to be limited to just a few brethren uh, in leadership positions at the last moment, because of the, the, the fear that would erupt in in North Dallas if the Mormons build this temple.
1: Well, something similar, I read on Yahoo this morning, how uh,
2: the Catholic Church in Rome is raising eyebrows and causing getting their attention that they're building a temple in Rome now.
0: Oh, are they really? We got and their... it's, quote,
2: definitely a problem. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it's coming and it's going to look gorgeous, and 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 remember, it was was, uh, President uh, Brigham Young who always said, every time we build a temple, the bells of hell start to ring. That are being prayed over like that. Swords and staves. Yeah.
1: It's it's just interesting to see how you can compare that with all these examples we're talking about. People coming at us with swords and staves. And how the Savior just stood there. He didn't attack them. How often do do does our church rise up when somebody's building a mosque? Or when somebody's building a synagogue? Or yeah. when there's a new Catholic church? Or... And, you know, we don't, we don't go no. out and attack them, so it's quite interesting. And how are we... What are they afraid of? Why do they keep right. coming at us? We're not doing that
0: to No, and, and when they're coming at us with swords and staves, what is the Savior saying that we're supposed to do? Here am I. I don't have to scream and yell. I don't have to be swinging anything. Peter, I know you love me. Thanks for that. Let me put his ear back on. <laughs> but but put the sword away because we're not fighting back with swords. I don't know if you remember that scene from Ben where Jesus, you know, Charles Henson is there and he's in a caravan and Jesus bends down and
1: he gives some water and the centurion comes and he kicks the water he says, Not for that one. And Jesus just looks at him that. So, and that. And that
0: backs him off? He
1: just backs off.
0: I, I, I picture sometimes uh, the aftermath of. Of uh, Joseph Smith in the Richmond Jail, when when they've been speaking all these horrible things right after he's captured at Far West and everything. Remember, he stands up and he says, "Silence ye fiends of the eternal pit!" You know, and he rebukes them. I want—I want to see that moment in the Millennial movies (laughs) because I'm really interested in the next ten minutes after that moment when he stops. And he's just standing there, looking at them. Calmly, powerfully, but not saying anything. Because partly Pratt's remembrance of that moment was, I have seen kings, I have seen all these other but I saw majesty at midnight. Now majesty is different from being rebuked. There is a majesty to him fighting off the swords and staves by saying, here is what I believe, and you and I will die this instant. You or I will die this instant. And then he's going to be quiet. Um, that actually came across,
2: actually, in Facebook, and it was in the Huffington Post. Um, I thought it was recently, but I'm looking at it. It was actually 11-6-2012, called The Mormonizing
0: of America. Excellent article. Good article. Yeah, what we stand for, and we quietly do it. And, we, and we're kind of cool. You know, we're doing all these things. That's why I say there's going to be there, but that is also going to raise those with swords and staves who are going to be a threatened and offended by us because they're not going to understand, and they're going to be filled with their own motives. So if they're about power, they'll see power as a threat from us. Yeah. Well,
1: if you just make me think of something that when we're talking about Joseph and the jail, because the description that we get from the way he looked and acted was, like, this majestic person. And yet when we read the words that he spoke, we probably can fall into the idea that he was out of control, mad, saying yeah. things to them, and, you know, but, but maybe, maybe that wasn't
0: the case. Because the description that we have is that he was this majestic person. But that's right. How did he say dignity and voice? chains, I think, is what yes. party pressed.
1: How did he say how did he express these words that his anger or anything else did not detract it yeah. from
0: the power to say them and to influence this man? He was in total control. He was and I and I think that's gonna be the battle for us. I think if we're, going to, if we're going to bear his cross and we're going to endure the shame of the world, he's showing us how to do it. And it's going to be very calm. And it's not going to be fighting back. We're going to state, but we are going to state what needs to be said. That is not true. That is not what we believe. That is not right. And I don't have to argue and I don't have to yell, but I can't tell you where I... Now, I promise you, that will bring swords and staves. It will but we still need to do it.
2: So I know who Christ was, but I was just thinking about how could He do that? Knowing what was coming up. Yeah. Well, because, and this is just a little from personal experience, and maybe other people have it too, once you've been to the lowest part of suffering, and you come away from that with extra strength from Heavenly Father, which... Imagine he did, then it's like anything else after that, yeah, whatever. You know, I've already been
0: through the worst part, yeah, in except in this case. I believe, and we're going to finish with this. I believe that there was one lower moment still to come, the lowest of the low of the low. Oh,
1: yeah,
0: oh. one more, okay, more than Gethsemane, more than Gethsemane, yep, yes. okay that teaser? Oh, I know what
2: it is. It just blew my cereal out to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's still a point to that. He went you're through something right. very difficult. And yes. So I think you're right. It's not like... I mean, that was...
0: The, the, yeah, everything else that they were going to... By the way, I, I do think it's interesting that all the swords and staves in the world showing up to attack him, after what he'd been through, is like, well, oh, that's not much. That's... <laughs> Is that all you got? <laughs> uh, exactly. Okay. So let's see. Sword staves. So here I, I wanna I wanna judge suppose that this one here is another one. We're gonna talk about the effect of swords and staves. I wanna jump ahead to the spear. How so are we gonna if I were going to title this lesson any different, it would have been Swords and Staves and Spears. I want you to jump to John nineteen, thirty-four. You <clears throat> would. We're now on Golgotha. <clears throat> and he is and he has Given up the ghost; it is finished, uh, and and they have a problem because this is done. We're going to talk about this in a second, but it's Passover uh, dusk is drawing close by, and they don't want these guys hanging up; that would be desecrating Passover. Uh, and they got these three guys that are being crucified, and they've got to they've got to have them dead so they can get them off of the crosses. And and again, remember the the horrible thing about Crucifixion was the fact that they would. The, 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 how how do you die from crucifixion? As, uh, yeah, you asphy, asphyxiate. Yeah, you can't breathe, and so they would have to rise up on either the nail or something like that, pull themselves up. So they would come through and break their legs, and now they can't rise up, and then they would just die that way. Okay, so they do that with the with the two on each side, and then they come to the Savior, and it's obvious. That he is already dead. They don't need to break his legs, and John's going to say that is fulfillment of prophecy. Because remember, the one of the rules of the Paschal Lamb, the 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 Lamb at Passover is it must be unblemished with no broken bones. Okay, but they're still not sure. How do we know for sure that he really is dead? Because he could be kind of comatose at this point. Most people don't last through the floggings. He could be. Um, just passed out, but it looks like he's pretty dead. How do we know for sure that he's dead? 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And then listen to John. And he, me, and I saw it, and I bore record, and my record is true, and I know what I said is true, that he might believe. I need you to know that this happened because I saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I was holding his mother while it happened. And that's gonna, that's got some very powerful significance. Um, and 37, another scripture, Zechariah, they shall look on him who they pierced. Now, this moment, why is this such a big deal? That they, they, they pierced his side fascinating that when tom thomas is really the first one that kind of does this and they say to thomas afterwards we think he is alive after the resurrection and he says i'm not going to believe that he is alive until i do what feel the prints in the nails in his hands and feet and what thrust my hand into his side now as a side note that gives you some idea this is not a small spear that is like gently punctured this thing for for it to leave some kind of a wound enough that somebody whether you are Thomas or the Nephites could thrust your hand into his side and feel the imprint of the sword gives you a sense of how big the wound was why is this so critical why the big deal We're, we're talking about swords and staves and now the spear. Why is it so important that you be able to put your hand into his wound on your side, which he still bears to this day, apparently?
1: Would it be absolute proof? Of what? That he was dead.
0: That he was and dead. He
1: resurrected.
0: Right. Could somebody survive wounds in your hands and your feet? Yes. Yes. The, the, the sword to the side says nobody survives this one. Well, and it
2: wasn't an impersonator.
0: But... Yeah, there was no impersonator. There was no cunningly devised fable,
2: yeah. as
0: Peter would say. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I saw it. I saw, and, and there's been a lot said about the blood and the water and, and all that and the spirit. And I, and I get that there's a, but I don't want to necessarily go there at the moment. I just want you to pay attention to the wound. Okay? So the wound and the significance of the wound says what to the world? Death. It's a second witness in a sense. I can see that he, he went through a painful torture and crucifixion, but the wound to his side says Death. he died. He really, he really did die. Now, there is one other aspect. There's two other aspects to this that I think are critical. Number one, I could, if I had wounds in my hands, I could show that, and anybody could see that. Who would be able to feel the wound in the side? Only someone he was very close to. Only he was very close to. That, is, that would be proof to a friend. That, in other words, that's a very intimate kind of experience to feel, not just be able to see from a distance, but to feel with your hand the, thor- the, 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 the spear thrust. It's something that a friend would get to feel. That's why I think it's, it's interesting that even the Nephites would have that experience of saying we're going to feel the wounds in his hand, but we're also going to feel the spear thrust.
2: It's, it's interesting in, in some countries um, around Easter time that they do do crucifixions. And I mean we've all seen it on TV and online and everything. And they actually have what they call stigmata
0: which are uh, wounds that appear in the hands. Yeah, that bleed. Yeah. But not the side. Nobody does this one. Yeah. This this is a very this is a very sure thing here. This says that death occurred. Now fascinating to me about this though is is one more to this. And the significance of this to me is Impressive. Um, I want you to remember if you'll hop over to Luke chapter (laughs) 2. Remember when Mary brings the, the eight day old Jesus to the temple for circumcision. And she's going to meet two prophets who have been waiting their lifetime to see the Messiah. And one of them is Simeon. 33, Joseph and his mother... Joseph and his mother, all the saviors. Marveled at those things which had been spoken. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, This child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which shall be spoken against. You will know where people are by what they say about this, this boy to become a man. You will know who they are. Do they accept him or do they come with swords and staves? There's a dividing. That Just watching their behavior in response to the, to the Holy One of Israel gives you an idea about where they are. Baptism or swords and staves. And you'll know in a minute who they are. So he's in the middle of describing that. And then it's almost, because it's in parentheses, it's almost like he gets this little side inspiration. This side little bit of a moment that is coming on Golgotha. This little glimpse for a second from the mouth of a prophet. Oh, and by the way, Mary, a sword shall pierce through thine own thine own soul also. That's enough of a dramatic moment even for a grieving mother to watch where she knows he's now dead. And what did it do to her?
2: I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, how hard to hard to picture that one in it? Harold Bee May I take you to a sacred scene, portraying one who, uh, who's all seen slipping away from her grasp, and let you feel her strength in a faithful help. Huddled at the foot of the cross was a silent figure, a beautiful middle-aged mother. Whose shawl drawn tightly around her head and shoulders, cruelly tormented on the cross above her, was her firstborn son. One can only but feebly understand the intensity of the suffering of Mary's mother heart. She now faced, in reality, the import of old Simeon's doleful prediction as he had blessed this son as a tiny. Infant child, he shall be a sign to be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce thine own soul. Also, it's that also that I think is interesting. Who else's soul might it pierce Mary's. besides Mary's? <coughs> Ours. And Heavenly Fathers. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one in a second. Absolutely. There is that sense that as you begin to... This becomes... if you When you read this in the right moments in the right time in the right spirit, we talk about the crucifixion of Christ. But when we are at those moments in our right moment and we have a <coughs> sense of grieving, this becomes very personal to us. This is our Savior. And like Mary, our... Heart, soul is pierced also.
2: And how can you see him without?
0: Without being moved? Yeah. Have you seen without being moved? Yeah. yeah. Or you, you remember the old, the true story of uh, uh, President Kimball on the operating table, uh, being moved from the OR, I think, to the recovery room, and and he'd just gone through uh, surgery. Uh, I think Elder Nelson did it on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. And they're, they're wheeling him down the hall and then into the elevator and the orderly bangs the side of the, the cart against the door and jars it and then utters an obscenity. And, and really in his weakened state, President Kimball then says, wait, that's my friend you're talking about. Please don't say that. Well, there's an intimacy there that comes that, that I think there was. In that sense we kind of become married. And those swords and staves. And spears that are used to wound the Savior. Also wound us. Because we begin to carry that. That most intimate moment with us. Okay. Now. With that said, here is the couple of very cruel ironies uh left take a look at. One, well, let's let's look at John eighteen uh, twenty-eight. <laughs> Now really quickly, let's just remind ourselves about uh, what happens here. Um, the Savior is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they finally uh, haul him off. And where do they take him? Where's his first stop? Ananias. Ananias is the father-in-law of the current head of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas. And it's almost like a ceremonial visit. This guy was was wicked he was corrupt uh, he was uh, the, the, the members of the Sanhedrin at that point were dominated by those who could buy their spots on the Sanhedrin so they were all very wealthy they were primarily Sadducee in the fact that they were uh, tied up in the Greeks and the Romans um, and and so he's kind of, the, kind of the hand behind the throne because he'd been the head of the Sanhedrin. And the first stop they're going to take him to is Ananias. And Ananias, the Savior's not going to give him the time of day. Just, I know you're, you're a phony. I know who you are. There's no reason to even talk to you. They're going to take him from there to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin meeting in the middle of the night, which is uh, unlawful on so many levels and he's not going to give them the time of day now ultimately they decide fascinating enough they decide that his greatest um, crime in front of the Sanhedrin is what? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. blasphemy now apparently from the research that we found as you, as you look at it uh, blasphemy is really, really bad and under old Jewish law that's, that's executable by death. But who's in charge these days? Oh, the, Romans. the Romans. Do the Romans care anything about blasphemy? No. 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 And so technically whenever you read about stonings that go on and that it's more like a lynching. It, it was illegal. They were they were stoning. They were this wasn't justified. Only only pilot, and You'll kind of get this from Pilate. Pilate can grant capital death, and that's not what they want. They don't want. Okay, yeah, it's blasphemy. Yeah, we, we you're guilty, but we really want you dead. So now, of course, they've got to stir up another reason. If we're going to take him to Pilate, Pilot the 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 cure, the. Uh, procur, the Governor, what's the charge got to be? It's just, it's
2: just stir up the
0: people. And that is treason, sedition. It's got to be sedition. Because they don't care anything about blasphemy, treason will get their attention. Because now this is a potential rebel rising up against Caesar. So we're going to haul him now off to Pilate to try and get him caught on treason. Pilate isn't quite sure what to do until he finds out that he originally is from Galilee. And then where's he going to send him? Off to Herod. Herod's the guy that's in charge over that one. Uh, he's not going to say anything to Herod. So he ends up back in Pilate's lap. That's the journey, okay? So now we get this moment. Uh, they led from Caesarea and it's a little more securitist than that but anyway they're going to send him to an interesting place and they're going to send him to from Caiaphas unto the Hall of Judgment. Now from what I was able to research on this they, there were um, they had kind of when they built uh, the uh, fortress of Antonia right next to the temple part of this Hall of Judgment Here comes the ironies. Part of the the Hall of Judgment is that it encroached on part of the temple, on that side of the wall. So the judgment of Pilate was actually taking place on temple grounds. Oh my God. And and it was called, or the pavement was the other way that this is described. There's a, a series of paving stones that were underneath the Hall of Judgment. So picture that there's this moment where somebody that is being judged... He stands there on the, the pavement and and Pilate's going to get up on the judgment seat and is going to uh, extract judgment or make a determination about life or death for this person standing there in front of them. That's the hall of judgment. Who's he judging? The eternal judge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that somehow this man, propped up by Caesar, is going to be the one who's going to stand in judgment over his judge, who just came out of Gethsemane to free Pilate from the sin he's about to commit. (laughs) That's mind-boggling that the Savior doesn't just start just shaking his head in absolute the, the, this is so strange that I'm going to be held in judgment by the man I just saved who's saying he can save me it was early they found themselves in the judgment hall and so by the way so they're going to take him to the judgment hall and I love this can the Jews that are accusing him of tre- blasphemy and now treason can they go with him into the judgment hall No. Why? It's Passover. (laughs) They're not supposed to go into the home of a Gentile where there might be unleavened bread. They can't go into the judgment hall with the Gentiles that are living there. Because we might break the law of Moses. While we want this man dead. Jehovah. (laughs) It's just wow. Wow. So we're going to so Pilate actually has to leave the judgment hall, come out to where they are. You want to come in? No, there there could be leavened bread in there while we're thirsting for his blood. So we're going to wait out here, and then you're going to come, and and we're going to tell you, yeah, we really would like him crucified. You sure you don't want to come in? No, that's fine. We wait out here. We're observant. (laughs) Great. Okay. So Pilate went out to them. What accusation you bring? They say, "Well, take him and judge him according to your law." Well, we can't. It's not lawful for us to put men to death. Funny, you would send us stone people all the time. I know, but we want you to do this one. Okay, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled. He spake, "What death he should." So now he's got to go. Pilate's got to go back into the judgment hall again and call Jesus and said, "Art they say you're a king? Are you the king of the Jews?" and the Savior, him he's going to talk to. Did you come up? Are you asking me or is this because they asked you? He says, well, I don't know. Am I a Jew? Do I, do I know who the king of the Jews is? I'm a Roman citizen. Okay? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered unto me. <laughs> and then... Looking at this mild, meek, loving man and looking into his eyes in the judgment hall, look at what he says. What have you done? What did you do to stir these guys up? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world yet. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants... um, Fight that I should be delivered to the Jews, but now is the kingdom, now is my kingdom not from hence. <laughs> Pilate said, okay, and so to this end I was born, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. And then we get this haunting little phrase from Pilate. What is truth? So here is the judge judging his eternal judge, saying, You tell me what the truth is. I'm supposed to be de- determining the truth. Are you worthy of death or, or so? what is the What is truth? And and again, the irony of that just is amazing to me. Okay. All right, ultimately, here I guess here's my question on this is. Oh, then we're gonna give you one other shot here. As Pilate's trying to get him off the hook. One more little irony. After he is scourged, and by the way, why would they scourge people prior they're putting him on the crucifixion? There's nothing more <coughs> painful than a crucifixion. Why would they scourge him ahead of that?
2: So they die sooner?
0: They need to find out who can survive the cross, yeah, because most people didn't survive the scourging. So intense was that. Okay, so he comes back from that. So he sends him off to be scourged, and they go through all of them. We'll see if we have time to get to the crown of thorns. But they're going to they're going to bring him back and put him in front of the people, and now he is bleeding and wounded, and and he's got this. This crown of thorns, which, let me just go ahead and say it now. Uh, um, The crown of thorns, another irony, is the fact that when we picture a crown of thorns, how do we picture it? Yeah, this prickly, brown, (laughs) ugly looking thing. Um, Sister Malof, you've been to Israel. Have you seen a, a tree of crown of thorns? What color is it? Isn't it green? Leafy green? Okay, I, I, looked up, I, I went and looked, and, and that tree, is, it's a leafy green. If they're going to make a crown of thorns out of that tree, which is traditionally what it is, it would be a green garland-looking crown. It looks like a king's crown, similar to what they would give actually to a king. Underneath it, though, is big thorns as long as your finger that would dig in and and cause bleeding so it's a painful thing going on underneath but it would look remarkably like a king's crown on top and and a purple robe so now they're going to Pilate's going to take this man who is now bleeding uh, and put him in front of the people and he's going to say okay who do you want I can can release somebody and they're going to say well we want Barabbas what does Barabbas mean Let me let me break it for a second okay when we talk about Simon bar Jonah what are we saying Simon From. son of Jonah that's bar okay what's Abbas Abba father who's Barabbas the son of the father who will I release the son of the father? <clears throat> Or the son of the father. How about that for irony?
2: I don't
0: get it. Okay, Barabbas. His name would mean son of the father, and and Jesus in front of him is really the The son
2: son of of the the eternal Father. father.
0: Okay. So it's like you're gonna we're gonna replace we're gonna crucify the son of the father in return and and let the son of the father Barabbas go. It's just just Satan's little dig along the way to just keep putting him down. There's another son of the Father and he gets away. Just cruel. Okay. So that's it. That's traditionally how we look at the crown of thorns. Now, I want... There is, there is one more moment that I think is the lowest of this entire atonement, crucifixion moment for the Savior. Uh, we, we have a belief, Talmage talks about the fact that uh, some of the horrors of Gethsemane began to descend on him while he was back on the cross. Um, now, previous to that, what at, at his lowest moment in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Who shows up to help him? An angel. Even while Peter, James, and John are sleeping for sorrow, they've cried themselves to sleep, there is at least an angel there coming to comfort him. Then what's going to happen is now he's going to be cruelly nailed to the cross. And there is a moment that I think is the lowest of all the lows for him. And and it's going to echo, I think, our moments when we really need the most and we feel abandoned. What's What oh. fuck?
1: okay more fully disciples of the lord jesus christ not in in the flush of comfortable times but indeed in courage and in faith may we stand by jesus christ at all times and in all things and in all places that we may even until death, for surely that is how he stood by us when it wasn't to death.
0: I do believe that the moment that would have been hardest for him was in that cry, Eloy, Eloy, Lama, Sabah, My God, my God. Why have you left me alone? Up to that moment, he'd been able to endure everything and have his father's presence. This was the moment, and it had to be his victory to do it himself. That that's the moment also for us, then, that says it's one thing if we when when we go through our trials, if we feel like God is with us while we're doing our trials. What happens about those moments when we feel like we are absolutely alone and that nobody else in the world understands what we're going through? I think that's part of Arian's Cross. That we are going to have a long Moments that we are going to have times when nobody else knows our grief other than our pillow. Nobody else knows our pain. Because sometimes it's a matter of trying to take our pain our grief and try to explain it to somebody and nobody's going to quite understand it. Even if they have gone through something similar, they're not going to understand the level of pain that you're experiencing and the context in which you're experiencing it. And at that moment, uh, he was utterly alone. And I can't imagine anything more painful for this perfect son than that. Let me kind of finish with the the words of uh, Melvin Ballard. Heavenly Father had the power to save and he loved his son. He could have saved him. He might have rescued him from the insult of the crowds. He might have rescued him when the crown of thorns was placed on his head. He might have rescued him when the son, hanging between two thieves, was mocked with, save thyself and come down from the cross. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Another irony. He listened to all of this. He saw that son condemned. He saw him dragged through... Dragged the cross through the streets of Jerusalem and faint under its load. He saw the sun finally upon Calvary. He saw his body stretched out upon the wooden cross. He saw the cruel nails driven through his hands and feet, and the blows that broke the skin, tore the flesh, and let the life's blood out of his son. He looked upon that. In the case of our Father, the knife was not stained, but it fell. And the lifeblood of his beloved son went out. The father looked on with great grief and agony. Over his beloved son. Until there seems to have come a moment. When even our savior cried out in despair. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? In that hour. I think I can see our dear father. Behind the veil looking upon these dying struggles until even he could not endure it any longer. And so he bowed his head and he hid in some part of his universe, his great heart almost breaking for the love that he had for his son. Oh, in that moment, when he might have saved his son, I thank him and praise him that he did not fail. I think ultimately the power of the, the Savior's sacrifice is the fact that there was a moment when He bore it Himself. It had to be His victory. And he had to do it completely alone. And I can't imagine anything harder and more haunting than that. But ultimately the victory would be His. He did the will of the Father, but He did it. And He would emerge... For us, if we're going to bear his cross and endure the shame of the world, I think it's going to be required that we expect that as we go forward, as the world gets more wicked, we're going to endure the swords and staves of the world as they come towards us. And they're going to not understand. True seekers will understand. Those that don't want to find truth will, find, will be more offended by us as the world becomes more stark and more polarized in its thinking, we will be despised by those who don't understand. They will despise the people who simply want other people to be happy. They're going to despise people that simply love their families and want them to be good, upright, law-abiding citizens. They're going to despise the people who simply love them and try to be filled with the love of the Savior and extend that. And they will be despised, and we will be hated. And there's the irony and there's the cross. And in that moment, maybe we're gonna there will be those times when people stand in front of us with swords and staves, and we're alone. And it will be unfair, and it will be ironic, and it will be something that the Savior understands. I pray for us that as our understanding of the crucifixion, as we as we look at his death, we looked at how he died, and the majesty of which he bore the swords and staves and spears. That we will be able to emulate in some small little bit what he did and handle it well. And just say, here am I, here's what I believe. And I know who he is, and I know. I pray that we can do that uh, in our daily lives. And I need that with in Jesus' name.